You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FMB Wealth and Investment. It's almost like there's a consolidatory period at the moment. The market's saying to itself, well, have we been too exuberant? Have we not been exuberant enough? Should we come down a bit? Should we just stay sideways? It's June the 10th. What do you think, Wayne? I actually think, well, look, Lindsay, I suppose I would have called the end to this bull market. Let me be realistic now. Hmm. Probably at the end of this, let's not call it a bull market. Let's just put it at the end of this recovery. I would have probably called it at 46,000 on the all share index. So it's got as low as 38,000 and it went up to 46. Right. Now, whenever you have a major correction like we did, the market always bounces. At, at, that is quite normal. And it normally recovers between one third and one half of the initial fall. So at 46, 47,000, I would have said, okay, it's done its thing, but now it's waiting for the economy to recover. It's waiting for good news on the virus. It's, it's waiting for something to go higher. And of course, it didn't wait for anything. It just went up in the index now as we talk is call it 53,000. Okay. And it got as high as almost 55,000. Yeah. One thing I'm reasonably confident in saying is that in two months, over the next two months, we're not going to have the same market as we've had over the last two months. In the next two months, it's not going to 70,000. I'm very confident in saying that there's this extended, this not extended, this dramatic and in intensely quick market recovery can't do the same for the next two months. Mm. But whether it's going to correct or not, I think it's going to, and not all the way down to 30, 38,000. I think those risks are gone. We understand the virus a lot better. World economies are recovering. I think you might be we wrong, actually. are getting better. I think, you, uh, I think you might be wrong there because we're going into winter now in the, in the southern hemisphere, and I think you might be wrong. I think that we haven't seen what the northern hemisphere saw during the winter months of January, February, no, it's quite March. Possible, but I lucky think enough, you might actually be wrong on this, yeah, on, on this occasion, but, Wayne. But lucky, luckily enough, whether it's luck or not, I don't know. But our all-share index is... 70, 75, 80% global companies or hmm. as with as in the mining companies, the platinum, the gold and the general miners, they sell in dollars. So what happens to the South African infection rate and whether we go back to level five or whatever will not have as dramatic an effect on our market if you write. In other words, the world's going into summer now. And if the world continues, the world's economy continues to recover, 70% of our market will, will be stabilized by that effect. It's only really 20 or 30% of our market that if things deteriorate really badly here again, and we go back to level five, a, a relatively small proportion of our market will be affected by it. When you were working at work, where did you work? Did you do you work with RMB? Because I've just spoken to a colleague of yours by the name of Etienne Leroux, chief economist at RMB. Do yes. you work in the same building as him? Well, we work meters apart. Yes, not in the exactly the same building, but and I hate the terminology. We work on the same campus. Oh, yeah, campus. Yeah, I don't know what that means. 
Anyway, it's a, it's a big yeah, building with I'm lots not, of people. I'm not sure either, but it, it started with the IT.com things 20 years ago. But, yeah, we work on the same campus. Okay, so you're at the same campus as Etienne Leroux. Yes. I had an interesting conversation with him about something called the Business Confidence Index, the RMB, Bureau for Economic Research Business Confidence Index. It started in 1975. It started being uh, formulated, collated in 1975. It's never, ever since 1975 been as low as it is now and so we were talking about that and obviously it's a a retrospective indicator but i also spoke to him on a more personal note and i said do you want to go back to work and he said yes of course i like you know messing around with people like wayne mccurry and uh, you know Mm. i can call a meeting with him quickly drag him into a conference room and talk about what he thinks of the market and so forth but he was we were just talking about silly things like the canteen at, uh, at mm. your institution normally serves maybe seven eight hundred meals a day now probably only serving 50 or 60 so therefore they don't have yeah, to yeah. Um, they don't have to employ so many people and so it goes on and i know you like mm. anecdotal evidence but that's what what he was saying to me he's an economist a chief economist yeah. and a very bright young man but he's coming up with these little stories and i think the little stories are the key to what might happen in the next six months yeah, look, we know the economy in South Africa is in dire straits. I mean, when we get the GDP numbers for the quarter to June, remember we by then mm. we had already been in recession for three quarters. When we get the number for June, we'll be in recession for four quarters. Right. And the number for June on an absolute basis, the economy will physically shrink between 8 and 10% on an absolute basis. Now, normally a bad year is minus 4 over 12 months. This will be minus 8 or 10 over 3 months. So the numbers are going to be shocking. And, of course, the more correct way to evaluate that was to say if the same conditions were to persist for the next year, in other words, you annualize the number, it's going to be between 30 and 50% on an annualized basis. Mm. So the mere fact that the, the BER confidence index is record low, you could not have expected anything different given the sheer size of the contraction and how quickly it's happened. Now, if you to look from the start of this fourth quarter over the next year the economy will probably shrink between four and five percent which is let's call it a normal recession but when you look because the economy from this low base in the third quarter and fourth quarter will expand because you're expanding off an absolutely destroyed economic base so the 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 12-month effect of the virus on the economy will probably be similar to previous recessions over a 12-month period. But as I've said a few times, the severity in one quarter will be eye-wateringly disastrous, catastrophic. Because I've also learned there's a difference between a disaster and a catastrophe. A disaster happens quite regularly. A catastrophe 
doesn't happen that drinking. I don't know what the difference between a catastrophe and a disaster is, but maybe one day you, you'll tell me. Uh, would you say that the BCI index was a catastrophe or a disaster? Would you say that... That's a catastrophe. Uh, a catastrophe. That's a total catastrophe. Because okay. this, this one quarter slowdown and the, the economic effects of the lockdown is a catastrophe as far as the economy is concerned. Mm. It's not to say it wasn't necessary, but the effect on the economy is devastating, catastrophic. We've uh, never, we've never ever seen anything like this before, and not just in South Africa, in the complete world. We have never, even, even in a world war. And I hate using the analogy comparing fighting the virus against a war, because I think that just unnecessarily creates the incorrect impression of what the world's trying to achieve. We're not fighting a war. But to come back to my point, the world's economy hasn't e even contracted this quickly with the same degree, the same extent, as when there were wars on. I mean, the world has, it might have happened, let's say it might have happened if there were financial markets when the Black Death or the bubonic plague it as 700 years ago, it might have been the same, I just don't know. But in modern, recordable, living memory, we have never seen anything like this. I'm talking about the effect on the economy. And whether it's justifiable or not, over the next years or decades to come, there will be many discussions about was the cost of the lockdown worth the result. Well, but of course, that will be, it, it, it will be absolutely useless discussion because you don't know what the result would have been if there wasn't a lockdown. So it would be, you know, it would be actually wasting your time. It's exactly it's right. Like, like, like people say, well, this company lost 200 million rand last year, but they paid its uh, CEO 20 million rand for the year. But you don't know that if, he, if the CEO hadn't been there, uh, how it much they, they it might have been four hundred exactly. So this yes. it's all hypothetical. Let's talk about two companies now. The first company is Multi Choice. The second company is Signia. Yes. I've had a long conversation with Magda Vizicka, the founder and CEO of Signia. And goodness me, she's a tigress when it comes to the way that she runs her business. And secondly, Multi Choice, obviously the brainchild many many years ago of of Kurs Becker. So two proud South African and very very skilled uh, business people. Let's start with Signia. What do you think of it? Yeah, I mean, these were good results. You know, the net asset value was up. And this was in the tough mo market because it was to the 31st of March. So the net asset value is up 6 7-odd percent. That's good. Profits are up. They doubled, mm. essentially. And that's good. And they're paying a dividend, which is a very unusual set of circumstances under these uh, conditions. That's the first so thing yes, I said to her, actually. Good. It's gone from 25 cents to 40 result. cents. Yeah, very good, I yeah. think. But you must remember also... You're starting off on a relatively smaller base. So I, I wouldn't think that profits will double again next year mm. because, you know, you're starting off. It is still a relatively new firm where you had to build up assets because in asset management, your costs essentially are fixed costs. You need people and computers. So that's fixed. So the moment you increase the asset base, literally those extra fees you get just fall to the bottom line. So I think they're in that sort of hockey stick J curve now where the, the, the cost base is fixed, but the revenue has expanded quite dramatically. 
Right. So I don't think we're going to see such an explosion in earnings over the next year, but it is still nevertheless a good business with a couple of caveats. Asset management business is a tough business because I know this through personal experience over many decades. Yes. One year you king, the next year you not. So Machter might be in a very sweet spot at the moment when people like her product range and they like the marketing and they like the costs and they like what they offer. And passive investing is now top of the pile. It might not be the case next year. In 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 this asset management game, as I said, one year you king, next year you dog. So that's one of the caveats about asset management. Second thing is all of your fees are asset-based. So the market falls 30%. You might still be the best asset manager in your world. Your profits, your income is going to fall 30%. And because you've got fixed costs, your profits might fall, will fall significantly more. So it is inherently quite a risky business asset management. You know, if you selling, if you're making BMWs, for BMW to lose their appeal in the marketplace doesn't happen next year. You know, it'll happen over a sustained time period, possibly. But asset management cash flows are very fickle. Next year, there's a new a new top dog there, and people's money flows to that. I mean, I've learned this. And no matter what people say that it's long-term investing, I've I don't think I don't think I've actually met a long-term investor in my life. Because everyone's a long-term investor when you're riding the right horse. But the moment you see, oh, someone else is doing better than me, they go there. Or the moment the market falls, people become very short-term investors. They don't think about the long-term when the market falls. So with all the caveats, and this is the same for Signia or um, Coronation, it's the same for everyone. So with all of those caveats, this doesn't look like a bad share because it's not at a 30 price earnings ratio, it's at a 12 price earnings ratio. So it looks quite reasonably valued given the profile of the earnings. But you know, once again to come back, understand all the caveats about investing in an asset manager. That's quite a speech uh, you've just uh, you've just given us there, Wayne. Well, this, you is, said this, you've... Is what I, this is what I do for my living. Well, that's apparently so, yes. Uh, but uh, yeah. you've just said you've never met a long-term investor in your life. That's the one thing I that I got out of it, apart from all the other stuff, yeah. which uh, quite a lot of it was, you know, it was, it was interesting, but not that useful. No, it's not that useful now. <laughs> but yeah. So you've never I, met I, a long-term investor to, in your life. I've chatted to thousands and thousands and thousands of retail investors in my life. Yes. And the moment the markets go down, what must I do now? Must I sell? Must I get out? I'm scared. I want to move my money. I want to go into cash. I want to do this. Well, they're human beings. But of course, the they're fragile creatures. Up, but that, 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 that's exactly the reason why I said mm. I've never met a short-term, a long-term investor because the moment life gets tough, people's horizons become extremely short-term. Exactly. 
You're absolutely right. A long-term investor is somebody that uh, loses for the first couple of years, and then they say, "Well, I'm a long-term investor. Um, I didn't. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a deep value investor. So the fact that I yeah. lost fifty percent in the exactly, first yeah. two years yeah. uh, means yeah. I'm a long-term investor. But if you're a yeah, short-term you're investor and it goes up fifty percent, then you say, "Well, I'm, I was just in it, and I've made my fifty percent, and that's it. Yeah. I'm a short-term investor. I agree people with you entirely. Long, people only become long-term investors when you buy something that goes down." Exactly. When you lose, in other words. Yeah. Multi-choice. Wayne, do you watch television yes. much or do you just sit and read books and things? Yes, but however, I will be honest and say after lockdown now, yes. getting a little tired of television. To be honest, you're getting, you know, previously on a Friday night. Oh, yeah, go on. You go out to dinner or just, well, not dinner, it's not called dinner. You go out to eat at a restaurant. So you have, your, you have your peri-peri chicken livers and maybe a bit of salt and pepper. Livers. Uh, what salt and pepper calamari. Calamari, yeah. And, and you, leave at, you leave home at 6, you get to the restaurant 20 past 6, half past 6, you're sitting down half past 6. That's quite early. You have a meal. You know, I always go out early. I, I can't stay awake past 9, man, in my old age. <laughs> and you, you, you leave, you get there half past 6, you leave half past 7, you're home at 8, yeah. you watch an hour TV and you go to sleep. Whereas now, wow. you've been home since 5. Because that's when you finish working or doing whatever you're doing. So now you're watching TV from five or nine. Okay. So you're getting a little tired of TV, but I think the true punch is going to be in three or four or five or six months' time because no one's making new episodes of anything at the moment. That's eh? quite right. I'm watching Downton Abbey again, I have to tell you, because yeah. BBC is, is showing reruns of Downton Abbey, and oh, Downton Abbey is, is 10 years old or something now, yeah. uh, because there's, there's nothing new coming through the system. Yeah, but admittedly, and I'm not a big sporting fan, but admittedly now there will be some sport being shown now with no, with no, no fans in the stadium, hmm. but, you know... Rugby starting next week, and there'll be golf, and there'll be tennis, and there will at least. So for people who, because people who watch sport, I mean, they died during lockdown. They just died. They watched the rerun of the 1976 PGA Championship five times. I watched the 1978 FA Cup final between Ipswich and Arsenal about yeah. about two, uh, two weeks ago. David Shapiro, our dear friend, you uh, won. Did Arsenal win that one? No, they didn't. Ipswich won one nil in the seventy eighth minute. Roger Osborne scored the the, the winner. But anyway, but you know, you know, yeah, the problem on. with Shapiro and Arsenal <laughs> is let's just say he stumbled across that game. Yes, go on. And you, it was the last two minutes of that game. But he didn't understand the context or anything. Hmm. And he saw Arsenal lost. You would have thought it's quite a recent game because Arsenal always seems to lose, according to Shapiro. Yeah, he's a very bitter man. He's a very bitter a gooner. The he's Arsenal fans supporter. are called gooners. Um, yeah. He's he's, he's very, very bitter. He hates them, but he's a staunch supporter. Yeah, anyway, let's yeah. carry on. Anyway, carry multi-choice. on with multi-choice. That was what I was asking you about. Multi-choice, mm-hmm. yes or no? Man, I would be, surprisingly enough, I would be a no on this. Because clearly they're coining it now during lockdown. I mean, I don't know what new subscription rates they've been able to charge for advertising because right now, let's just call it broad media, is the only way people can get their product out there. You know, up until two weeks ago, was no one was driving on the roads. No one was going to events. No one was going to promotions. So the only way, but I mean, this has been a trend for a long time, advertising going onto digital platforms. Yes. So, but right now, their multi-choice 
Netflix, you name it, is in a proper sweet spot here. They are kings of the castle at, at the moment. But longer term, I'm a little cautious on this because I know multi-choice has got a lot of local content, African content, which Netflix and the other players have not got. Right. But in the mainstream of, let's just call it broad entertainment, I'm not sure these guys can compete on a 10-year basis with the big American content. Let's just let's call them content providers. I think you're absolutely so right. You They're not quite as sophisticated. And um, the access yeah. to the American uh, product it's or the European product money, is so easy compared to... Oh, it's been, it's look, as easy as getting into multi-choice is what you're saying, I think. Yes, uh, I'm a bit worried about the competition longer term in multi-choice. Although, understand the big American production houses. I mean, this goes back 100 years. But 100 years ago, MGM, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, yes. owned the production house. So they provided content. But they also owned the whole range of cinemas that distributed it. So those, one out of every three cinemas in America was owned by MGM. And... Only their cinemas could show their films. If you were an independent, you couldn't get their films. And the American Anti-Competition Commission, whatever you call them, came in and said, this is anti-competitive behavior and actually forced them to unbundle the cinemas so the cinemas could choose from whatever production house. Now, what's happening now is that HBO and a few of the other players yes. are now not just distributing, they're not just a distribution channel buying from all the various production houses. They now a production house themselves and their internal content is exclusively for them and other distributors can't access that. You've got to buy the license from them. So it's not, it's not impossible that over the next 10 years they're going to be forced to split their production house from their distribution house. So there's another inherent risk there. Okay, so we're not we're not buying uh, multi choice. Okay, Wayne. No, I would be. I would, but this is a good set of results. Eh? Make no mistake about that. It really was. And certainly the first dividends most welcome, and the P is not expensive. It's not expensive share. I mean, it's up eight percent today. So you know, maybe you know, maybe my caution is a five plus year story because in South Africa, they're the only player in town. They they had open view. They had quite a few other people trying to come in and muscling on their territory. And they've sent them packing. But yes. we do also know that, let's just talk premium subscription. A thousand rand is the max. Yeah. And, and they haven't been able to push prices for a long time. So, they, so their policy is being downscale the package. Offer people a limited package that costs 300. Offer them another package that costs 500. Offer them another one that costs whatever, 150. And they've been able to get new paying subscribers in at the cheaper rates. But the, the true premium content one cannot push that price higher. And that environment's not going to change in South Africa for the foreseeable future. And, of course, not all their content, but a significant proportion of their content is priced in dollars and not in rands. But, you know, on the other side... If they can swing their Nigerian operations, their African operations into profit, geez, their profits will double, if not more. Because those things are heavily loss-making. And of course, it's their intention to swing that into profits. So maybe they've gotten a, 
Netflix and other companies are never going to take over in Nigeria because to do that, well, this is not to say Nigeria, it's just say Africa because they've got local content and and Netflix and them cannot compete on local content. You know, they've got those seven or eight channels on their thing, on their bouquet, that is local content focused. I think what you must so, you know, do, maybe Wayne, that's going I, to be the future for them. I think so it's actually is, a hard one to call this. But what you've said is you're fed up with watching TV, and so maybe we should buy something to do with exclusive books because you're going to obviously start reading more books in the future and yes. not watch a, a TV and yes. exclusive and books. And it's also is, very interesting. People with the with the advent of what's that thing called the Kindle and all the e-books and all of the e everything's going electronic. Yes, the bookstore hasn't died, eh? It's evolved. But it hasn't died. I love Same the as cinemas have evolved, but it mm. hasn't died. I mean, the evolution. Did you see the thing that came out two or three weeks ago? No, what was that? You know, all those magazines you've seen in South Africa for years—the Eisgenoot and the U and the Buena and the Farmers Weekly and all of these things. I mean, I might be getting the titles wrong. Caxton and CTP are just not going to publish them anymore. They're finished. So the magazine market has changed significantly but the bookstore is still around and you go to in normal times when you can still go to places i don't even know exclusive books actually is open but whenever you go there you know there's always people there you know it seems to be a reasonably good business well i think but people are going back to being tactile i mean i can't read something on my uh, no, my, my pad or my whatever it's yeah, called but, but, uh, but, ipad but, but, or but, or something else. Yeah, but you must remember, Lindsay, we are effectively Luddites in today. I'm not a Luddite, Wayne. I'm not a Luddite. You're a Luddite. I'm, I'm a Luddite. Okay. I'm a Luddite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you still drive Jaguars. I mean, of course you're yeah. a Luddite. But having said I'm a Luddite, I'm sitting at my desk at home at the moment, mm. surrounded by four electronic devices. Oh, yeah? What? A television, a radio? Um, no, 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 no. no. I've, got a, I've got a cell phone. I've got a cell phone, a tablet, and two PCs. So, because I'm working from home now, so I need all of this stuff. So <laughs> maybe I'm being harsh on myself, calling myself a Luddite, but I still like to refer to myself as a Luddite. I think you're the you're, you're the, the, you're the bearer. It's almost like when humans went from being troglodytes to to being humans and standing up and everything. You are like that. You're the you're the barrier in between the two, or rather the bridge between the two. You're the bridge yeah. between the Luddite and the millennial. That's what I see you as, yes. Wayne. It's possibly, or, or else I could just be a grumpy old bullet. That's exactly what you are, grumpy old bullet. Thank you very much for your time this evening. That's Wayne McCurry, grumpy old bullet, and also portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment. And that was Wayne on Wednesday. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors, and do not reflect the policy position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.